So the series that we're on, this series where we've been talking about being family or being the church at home, um, probably found its origination in today's talk. Um, as many of you know, Callie and I are in a very long process of trying to adopt two little ones, assuming all goes well, from Burundi, which is in Africa, for those of you who are unaware. Um, Burundi's a country, Africa's a continent, there's lots of countries, but it's in the central and eastern side of Africa. Um, And reality is, because this process is so, so long, you're going to hear us talking about this for a really, really long time. And as we are in this conversation, it's quite possible that what may also happen is that we reach the point that we kind of stop talking about it much. And that some of you begin to think, oh, I guess they changed their mind and I didn't hear about it or something happened or something went wrong. And then all of a sudden babies will show up. Because the journey ahead, they're telling us right now, is probably a two to four year journey before little ones come to be with us. And most people don't want to talk about that for that long. They don't want to talk about something that's that far out in the future. And it puts us in this place sometimes of this kind of weird tension of saying, okay, do we talk about it? Do we not talk about it? We have people who say, so so what's going on? I mean, lots, but nothing to you seems like it's moving at all. And we know that that's the case. When our family asks us, it appears like nothing is moving, even though... We've been working like crazy behind the scenes trying to begin to move things forward. Um, So this is part of the process. So babies are coming. And one day they will come and they'll join our family and we're excited about it. Uh, But it's going to be a while. Reality is it's quite possible that they're not even born yet. But one day they will be here. So we ask you to pray for us as you wait And as we wait to expand both the Moreau family and the Valley family, uh, we're excited about the day that that will come. But part of the work that we've been doing in the process of this, some of the the behind-the-scenes stuff that most people don't see, is that one of the requirements upon us was some significant training. And the training has been really, really great. We've spent 15 or 20 hours reading uh, books and articles and watching videos and doing homework and sending reports back and doing all kinds of things uh, in order to prepare ourselves with this training and in the midst of it uh, have learned some incredible things. In fact, it's my opinion in some of what we've learned. I don't think they should let any of us carry children home from the hospital until we've walked through the same training. It has been so, so Valuable for us to think about some of this. And one Sunday as we were here, we happened to be talking about something in our small group and it came up and I mentioned it. And I remember Jackie actually making a statement that, that we should share some of this with Valley. And I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about that. So this morning I'm going to attempt to share some of what it is that we have been learning that has been stirring in us. So today's going to look different than it often does. Uh, I'd love to bring in an expert who could talk about this in more significant and more thorough ways, but so today, my goal is just to give a couple highlights, a couple of things that I think have been significant for us as we're thinking about our family and the kids that we're currently raising and the kids that will one day join us, that will be a part of us raising, um, but some really, really valuable information. So sometime in the 1960s or the 1970s, there began to be some child development research around the idea of what's called attachment theory. Some of you have heard about this. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. I didn't know much about it. So there's some research done around the idea of attachment theory. 
And the understanding behind this is that each of us have what's called an attachment pattern. And that this attachment pattern, Lexi seems to know about this. So when I get it wrong, just wave your hand and let me know that I missed something. And I'll try and circle back and pick that up. So in this attachment pattern stuff, if I understand correctly, it means that the, the attachment pattern that we learn in childhood has a significant influence on our life for the rest of our life. And not just our life, but also life situations that we interact with, different things that we come uh, in contact with. And there are four patterns of attachment that show up in people. They show up in babies and they continue into adulthood. And these become these, these ways or these influences that impact how we deal with a multitude of things that come into our life. Does that sort of make sense? A little bit, maybe we'll get we'll get a little further. They're primarily motivated. Again, another interesting thing that the research has shown: our attachment pattern today. So, whether you're 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 90, attachment pattern today is more than likely the majority of it is influenced by your childhood connections, by your childhood patterns that were developed through your primary caretakers when you were little. Again, there's four of them, but this morning, in order to try and simplify, rather than defining all four, I'm going to move towards two primary categories. So the ideal category, the hope would be that we all are living life securely attached or in the one pattern that is called secure attachment. There are three other patterns, and according to the research, 40 to 50% of Americans... It's not an international study, so I can't tell you about those that are from other countries that are with us. But 40 to 50 percent of Americans are in one of the three patterns that are considered insecurely attached. Again, you can do tons more reading and tons more research. I'm trying to simplify what I can. So secure attachment, insecure attachment are the two primary kind of categories that exist. If 40 to 50 percent are insecurely attached, it puts about half of us there and about half of us securely attached. All right. Three important things to know about these attachment patterns and the ways in which they work that influence us as we move forward in our life. One, they tend to be stable over time. So we tend to hold on to whatever attachment pattern it was that we learned or we developed in our early, early childhood. And when I say early, much of it was formed from a time before we even have memory. Before we even recognize memory patterns, including in the womb, there are attachment things that are already being developed. So the first thing, it tends to be stable. We tend to maintain what we have. Second, those with an insecure attachment pattern. So again, 40 to 50% of Americans in one of those three patterns considered insecure. These words come from Kurt Thompson. Um, Those with an insecure pattern generally have a much more thorny course... When navigate, I think there's a slide for this one, Jackson. A much more thorny course when navigating the unexpected twists and turns of life. Particularly in interpersonal relationships. So if you're insecure, if you fall into one of the insecure patterns, life and relationships especially become more complicated because of this insecure patterns that were developed in your early, early, early childhood. Got it? So one, they tend to be stable. Two, it impacts life. Insecure folks tend to have a more thorny issue dealing with all these kind of difficulties that come. Three, with almost 80% certainty, 
we will pass on the attachment theory that we experience to our children with almost 80% certainty, according to all the research that's out there. So if I understand all this correctly, and I'm no social scientist and I'm not a child development expert, I'm just a dad who's also a pastor who hangs out with lots and lots of other parents. Many of you are sitting right here. If I understand this correctly, then you and I are significantly impacted by the relationship that we had and therefore the attachment patterns that we developed with our primary caretakers when we were five and younger. The reality is it also stretches to older that, but five and younger, most significant, apparently second most significant period for attachment theory, adolescence. So that's the second most important time in life is teenage years. And it means that because of this reality in us, that it influences every other relationship we'll have in our life, either positively or negatively, depending on our experience. It also influences all of our life interactions that we're involved in beyond relationships, either positively or negatively, based on what it is that we walk through. So our attachment pattern will influence how we deal with stress. It influences how we wrestle with work issues that come our way. It influences how we deal with difficulties that we, in, that we have in our home life. It influences what we do and how we think about and how we pursue personal ambitions that exist in our life. And eventually, if you have children, it will influence how you parent your own children, how we parent our children. Because we are likely to pass on the same attachment pattern that we experience, that we understand, that we live in. And not only is this true for the three generations that I've talked about, parents passing it to us, us passing it to kids, but it stretches way back. Because our parents probably received what they received because of the grandparents' attachment pattern, who received it from their parents, who received it from their parents. And as we think about our kids, they are with 80% certainty going to pass forward what it is that we passed on to them to our grandkids and our great-grandkids and so on and so forth. And the pattern continues. Everybody kind of with me so far? Is anyone a little bit terrified by what I'm saying? If you are, it means I'm explaining it somewhat appropriately. Because it is absolutely terrifying. It's paradigm shifting. It changes so much of our thinking of what it means for us to parent kids, what it means for us to bring up children, what us, what we think about the interactions that we have. There are huge implications that this should have in each of our lives, in each of our journeys, in each of our interactions with our own children or any other children that we parent. And all of you are parenting children because my kids are your kids. We are parenting our kids together as a community of faith. So this should bring significant influence and have huge implications on all of us in the way that we're interacting with our kids. And some of the difficult part is as I read some of this and I learn some of this and I try and research more of this, there is this place that I begin to wrestle with because it all seems so stuck, so static. As if everything has already been set in motion, and because it is in motion, there's not much we can do about it. And if that's the case, then what's the point? 
Why talk about it? Why wrestle with it? Why think about it? Unless you're brand new and, and your kids aren't here yet, where it can make a significant influence because you don't yet have them. But for the rest of us who already have kids who are stretching beyond this point of being five or not yet to adolescence or outside of adolescence, what is it that we're supposed to do with this? And in my opinion, this is where the beauty of our faith comes into the conversation. Now, much of the research that exists and much of the research that's out there is is not actually concerned with issues of faith. Their interest and their research is really based on child development. What does it look like to develop children? Whether they're children of faith or not, no matter what their journey is with that, but they're looking at child development issues, not kingdom of God issues. But as we have looked at this and studied this, now some of the influences we're studying were, were Christian influences, but as you look at this, this has so much Overlap with our understanding of the kingdom of God. So for a few minutes, I want to try to explain what this means and what this looks like for us and hopefully build some goals that we might have for parenting, especially as we parent with an intention of being church at home. In the very beginning of the scriptures, we are told that something is true. That you and I exist for relationships. That we are hardwired to be securely attached to God. We see that in the very beginning. And then we see to other people as this helper is brought along that we talked about last week. This partner, this equal Man and woman brought together. So we've talked about being single and we've talked about being married and those being some of the ways in which we interact with other people, in which we pursue community. We've talked about the idea that if you're single, you have this opportunity to be broadly connected with lots and lots of diverse people showing the breadth of the love of God. And if you're married, that you have this opportunity to be deeply connected with one person, one partner, showing the depth of the love of God for each person. So in marriage and in singleness, and if you're not yet married, our teens asked us about dating, and that piece is true. And if you're you're living single and not interested in marriage, or living single and someday hope you'll marry, or if your marriage is, is has ended, whether that's through death or divorce, or wherever you find yourself in, you find yourself in this space of trying to interact with other people and looking for ways in which you do that. And being single and being married is one of the ways in which we talk about how some of that interaction takes place. We are attaching... To other people in community, we are building relationships with other people. And hopefully, as Christ followers, we're also doing so more significantly and in more committed ways, developing relationship with God. And what we see is true, both biblically and experientially, is that from time to time, there is a fracturing in these relationships. In in all relationships. There's strain that comes on the relationship, and when that strain comes in, damage is done. So in our relationship with God, in our relationship with family members, in our relationship with other friends, even in our relationship with strangers, we find that from time to time, the relationship gets broken or damaged or fractured or ruptured in some way. We rupture the friendship, we rupture the ideal of what that relationship can look like. And according to the scriptures, and according to what I understand is true in my own life, all of those ruptures are ultimately rooted in sin. And sin 
is what happens when you and I desire to serve ourselves, to get what we want no matter the cost to other people. Sin is what happens when we choose ourselves over God. Sin is what happens when we desire to overcome the human limitations that exist on our life and make ourselves some form of God, therefore replacing God in our life and in our journey. And every time we choose sin, we fracture all of the relationships that were impacted by those sin choices. Everybody still with me? You got to be with me. Because this is where God's grace begins to overwhelm the story. Now, if we look at attachment theory conversation... Attachment theory says that no matter what we grew up with and no matter what we exist with now as adults, no matter where we are in our journey, that there is also this opportunity to possess what's called earned, secure attachment. You can rework everything that once happened. We have this opportunity to experience what we perhaps never knew in our childhood. We have this option to rewire our brains to handle relationships and life interactions differently. Secure attachment language, attachment theory language, kingdom of God language, there is grace. The grace of God is the very essence of what you and I need in order to exist securely. Because attachment, secure attachment, attachment is this desire to know and to be known. Attachment is this need to be in healthy, secure relationships. And that is exactly what God desires for each of us and to give to each of us is secure attachment first with God and then with other people. So what in the world does this have to do with parenting? My understanding of it is that the Bible and all of this secular research basically say the same thing. The only possible way for us to break the pattern of generations, the idea that we're going to pass along what we know with 80% security, the idea that 40 to 50% of us are insecure, the only way, according to the scriptures and the secular research, in order to change that pattern is that you and I have to deal with the issues of self. We can pass on a new pattern of attachment if we have been willing to wrestle with our own past. We can change the pattern that moves forward if we are willing, if I am willing to deal with both the beauties and the difficulties of my own life experience. I can change the pattern of what I pass forward if I have received the grace of God... And offered similar grace to myself and to the primary caregivers in my life. We start this place of doing, of, of pushing forward secure attachment to our kids. We start it with wrestling with the realities of ourself. Where am I? Now, this shouldn't actually be new conversation to any of you, this piece of it, because years ago we began this conversation as we did the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality uh, Initiative and we t in the church. As we talked about the idea of you and I beginning to, and I say to some of you, some of you weren't there at that point, but 
if you begin this idea and this journey of putting together a genogram, a genogram, which is this really rough version of a family tree, but in it, you're looking not just at your historical past, who were you somehow related to George Washington. Instead, you're looking two or three or four generations back, trying to understand the social realities that existed, the psychological norms that were passed forward, the relational patterns that were developed in the life of your family. Does some of you remember us talking about genograms? If you were in the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course last year, we talked about it again, and you were offered the opportunity to do it a second time. The idea in doing so is that we're able to process what it is that we walked through and what it is that our parents and our grandparents and perhaps even our great-grandparents experienced. How they were raised, how they were nurtured, how they were grown up, what type of relational patterns existed, what type of addiction patterns existed. And, and looking in all of those realities and all those things that happened... We can come to a place of offering grace and forgiveness to ourselves and to all of those generations of our past. And we can make a plan for how we want to walk forward in a new way. So the first steps for you and I parenting the church well, for us pushing this forward, is to stop and to look at ourselves Deal with the issues in your own life, in your own relationships with mom and dad or whoever your primary caretakers were. Deal with and wrestle with those issues and find some ways to begin to resolve some of that. Now, is it easy? No way. Do you probably need to see a counselor in the process? Most definitely. Do you need help finding one? Let me know. We'll do it. We'll help you find counselors to connect with. Because this is the very first step of us moving forward is finding some healing in our own heart and mind and soul so that we can move forward. The reality is we can never help our kids become all that they were created to be if we're unwilling to become all that God created us to be. And that starts with wrestling with what we've known in our past, what we've experienced with our past, what our own attachment patterns are, and working towards earned, secure attachments. Now, assuming that you've dealt with the past, assuming that you've dealt with all of that, what is it that we do next? What is it that we pass forward in our parenting models and in our parenting patterns and in what we do? And we're going to hit this really briefly, and I know some of you may be disappointed in that. Sorry. We've got some resources, got some great books that I can tell you about that can help add to it. I just want to give you a couple highlights. One is this. Offer every possible opportunity to our child that we can for secure attachments. Now, what does that mean? That means we give them a space where they feel loved, where they feel welcomed, where they feel wanted, where they feel heard, where they feel cared for, where they feel valued. Now, with babies, it's easier for many of us. Because we respond to babies very frequently by simply meeting their needs. That's all we know how to do. So when they cry, we come. And then we try and figure out what is it they're crying for. And if we figure out that they're hungry, we give them food. And if we figure out that they're tired, we give them a nap. And if we figure out that they're hurt, we care for the wound. And if we figure out that maybe they're lonely, we hold them for a while. And as we hold them and we look at them and we talk to them and we play with them, all the things that so many of us naturally do with little babies, we build secure attachment in them. But there are people in our life, in our church, in our world that never experienced this. That didn't get this when they were babies and didn't get this as they grew older. 
And because of that, they find themselves with these insecure attachment patterns. Many of those who live in the worlds in which Callie and I are looking to adopt from, that's their reality. They were never held when they cried as an infant. And it will impact them forever unless we work to help them find earned, secure attachment afterwards. But these are the ways that we build attachment with our kids. We hold them, we look at them, we talk to them, we play with them. We do Whether they're six months old or six years old or 16 years old, we find these opportunities to interact with them, to, to help them learn, I am cared for. Because even as kids grow older, they need the same thing. So you and I as parents, what do we do? We look for the needs that exist in their life. Now, yes, there's this huge struggle that comes into play of wrestling between what it means to meet their needs and what we know are their needs and what they understand are their needs. Yes. And I wish I had an easy answer for how you deal with that when I don't. It's this constant balance between what does it mean to help your child understand that they are heard and they are still cared for. That they hear coming out of us, I know you, I see you, I love you. And that doesn't mean you get everything you want. Do you hear that? Kids, moms, dads, to communicate, I know you, I see you, I love you, which is what the grace of God communicates to us. To communicate that to our kids does not mean that they're supposed to get everything that they want. But it does mean that that's what we're striving to communicate all the time. Another way in which we have to do that, we have to be deeply committed to doing that, is to make sure that our kids know that they are a deep priority in our life. They are priority. Now, they're not the first priority because as Christ followers, our first, our first priority is our own faith with Jesus. Our second priority is dealing with ourselves and our self-issues. Our third priority, if you're married, is your spouse and your kids then become priority. So what does it mean for us to make sure that we are showing them that they are a priority in our life? I already said this, didn't I? We talk to them. We listen to them. We play with them. And friends, we put down our phones. Technology has made parenting so much more difficult. It's made it so much harder. And so often I hear us complaining about our kids and the ways in which they use our phones. But do you want to know where they learned it? They learned it from us. Stop blaming it on new generations and own it. You're so confused, some of you, so confused by how to use your phone. You're always looking at it, trying to figure out what to do with it. The rest of you know how to use your phone and you're constantly using it. And we even have these weird excuses like we want to develop and hold on to our memory. So we take lots and lots of pictures and we remember nothing but our phones remember a whole lot for us. Man, I could harp on this one for a long time. Not because I figured it out or because I've done it perfectly. It's part of the reason I won't be there long. Just last week, I watched a a, a news thing that was done on one of the nightly news programs. I don't even remember which one it was, but they were interviewing elementary school children. And they were talking to elementary school kids about their parents and technology. And I remember one child that said, sometimes when I'm sitting in the same room with my parent, I can't remember if it was mom or dad, the only way that I can get them to stop doing their email from work or interacting with social media is that I have to send them a text message and then they'll pay attention to me. And it absolutely broke my heart. Not only because it was that parent's story, but because how often is it my story? 
that Emory can't get my attention because I'm too busy with my phone in the moment. Because I have work emails that I need to tend to. Because I have work stuff that I have to do. We show our children that they are a priority when we make them a priority. When we make sure that work is not the priority our children are. When we make sure that tech is not the priority. Whether it's because we're doing work or because we're doing play or whatever it is. It is not the priority our children are. i got a whole list of books that talks about how we can think about tech differently with regards to parenting. If you're interested, let me know. I'm going to share some books this week, some things that have influenced me and some things that didn't make it into the sermon. I'll share some of that on some social media platforms as I talk about putting down your tech. I'll share some of that on some of our social media platforms so that you can see that, so that you have access to that. I will do that in appropriate times where my kids are not around. Uh, as a matter of fact, I will schedule it all to go out today when they're asleep. Um, because we want you to have access to those things. But there's some great resources out there about how we can think about that differently. I need to finish. So let me say this. And this is, this is the last word I want to share. And what for me has been the most helpful piece in what we have looked at and what we've experienced and what we've dealt with. This has been, I said helpful. I intended to say the most hopeful piece. This is for me the most hopeful So if you have questions or you're confused or you don't understand what I'm talking about, that's okay. Get this. This is the most significant thing for you to get. Everybody with me? If your neighbor's asleep, jab them just a minute because they need to hear this part. One of the most significant pieces of you and I developing secure attachment in our children is repairing ruptures. Repairing ruptures is one of the most significant ways in which we develop secure attachment in our children. So we've talked about sin causes ruptures, right? So when I lose my cool with my children, there is a rupture. When I sin by getting angry unnecessarily, when I sin by saying things that I wish I hadn't, when I sin by not listening well to them, when I sin by not paying enough attention to them, when I sin by not making sure that they're a priority of my life, when I sin by not meeting the needs that, that they have in some way, when I sin by not making sure that my kids are hearing in my actions and my words and my time and in everything that I do, I know you, I see you, I love you. All of those things are sin. And when I do them with my children or with any other other people, I create a rupture and the ruptures must be repaired. So how do we repair them? How do you repair ruptures with your children, moms and dads? You confess. When I create a rupture with my children, I say, I am sorry. I was Wrong. Will you please forgive me? That is how we repair the rupture. Now, do you want to hear the most hopeful piece of the research? The most hopeful aspect that I saw in the research is that repairs carry greater value in building secure attachment than never failing does. Repairs more important than never failing. And repairs demand ruptures. So repairs demand that we fail sometimes. Which means for us, and you have to hear this, repairs are more important than perfection. Amen. Repairing the ruptures is more valuable in the life of your children than perfection. 
You will fail. I will fail. We will sin and we will create ruptures. And the ways that we develop secure attachment in the lives of our children is that we repair the rupture. By being willing to say, I am sorry. I was wrong. Will you please forgive me? Church, we can find secure attachment in our own lives. No matter what our history was, we can find secure attachment through the grace of Christ. And the willingness to be honest in exploring our own past and coming to terms with the things that we have dealt with that were perhaps less than ideal. And we can pass on this earned secure attachment that we found through grace. We can pass that on to our kids. And the most significant way in which we do so is that when we fail, because we will, we repair the rupture. Church, hear this. Jesus knows you. Jesus sees you. Jesus loves you. No matter what you've walked through in the past, all of those statements are 100% true. And moms and dads, in that truth of Jesus, we walk forward with the goal to show to our kids, I know you. I see you. I love you. And according to the scriptures... And according to all this research that has been done over the last 50 or 60 years, it will make a significant difference in the lives of our kids. And our future. And their future. And their kids. And their kids. And their kids. And their kids. So how about we start today? Will you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for grace. Thank you for grace that I need so deeply and do not deserve. Thank you for grace that can bring transformation in my own life. No matter my own experience or my past, my upbringing. Father, as I sit in a room with 80 or 100 people, we have a multitude of journeys that we've experienced. And we are across the board, across the spectrum in the understanding of secure attachment versus insecure attachment. So, Lord Jesus, no matter what our journey is, no matter what our relationship with mom or dad or grandparents or whoever our caretakers were, no matter what our our experience was, I ask that today you would overwhelm that reality with the reality of grace. Overwhelm it and transform us and bring to us a new, earned, secure attachment out of the grace and love of Jesus. And then Jesus, give us strength to pass it forward. To pass forward grace and love. And as we wrestle with whatever it is that we've done or whatever it is that we've said or whatever it is that we've experienced. Today, give us hope. Hope that something new and different 
is not only possible, it is exactly what you intend. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.